0: This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible, and it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff, too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to be around to get better as a B2B marketer, too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month, and then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like a hundred bucks a year. Makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's a hundred bucks. It's really easy. But there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day and you can go in there daily and you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, huh, I get what Dave was talking about. I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly and even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar. Go and check that out. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm, tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is the place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Devin Bramhall. She's the CEO of Animals. So you run, you're the CEO at Animals and Animals is awesome. I think I've been a client. I know a lot of companies that have and I think you have a great way of doing content in the context of B2B SaaS that I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk about this with because it's crazy how much content strategy comes up with the group members, but also just like in general. And so I want to just hang out and talk about like content strategy with you from somebody who's done it.
1: Cool. I also was like a baby content marketer for a long time before I was CEO. So like
0: yeah it's not
1: still close enough to me that i'm like i remember like i know what this was like so it's like i think i can get in the weeds a little more where you want to get in the
0: weeds yeah i there's two tracks that i want to talk through with you number one is like overall content strategy but then also separately and we'll we'll do this more towards the end i want to talk about your i want to talk about the role like you as head of content director of content like you know, because I think there's a lot of people who will listen to this that are either in that role or want to be in that role and be successful. So we'll talk about that too. But let's talk about content strategy. Like how do you articulate overall the purpose of content and investing in content for your kind of average B2B SaaS company that we're talking to?
1: Yeah. For me, it's two things, brand and bottom line. That's kind of how I like wrap my arms around that giant giant question it's like it's about your brand and it's about your bottom line your bottom line is traffic pipeline whatever metric you're tracking and also if you don't have a solid business metric with your content you're doing it wrong in my opinion yeah and then brand is like awareness like are you top of mind in your space right i think brand it's like how much you focus on that depends on what stage your company is at right like early like seed stage, you know, <laughs> like you're probably not thinking super hard about your brand, right? You kind of need a shot in the arm. But I also do think that fewer B2B companies focus on brand than should, but yeah, that's how I think about it. It's like brand and bottom line. I love it.
0: I love those two things, brand and bottom line. Cause I think that those are hard, those are challenging things, right? Because what you're asking somebody to do is... Hey Dave, I want you to do something and it has both, we need it for both the short-term rewards and long-term, but you only have this budget and these people within this time frame to do it. And so like, how do you, I think a lot of people struggle with like, they struggle with the delineation of those things, which is like, I get what you're saying, brand and bottom line, but like how do you separate those things and make them real? Like how do you build a brand through content that people love that also drives traffic And leads and business metrics?
1: Yes, that's a great question. Well, one, I would say on the brand side, I think what gets like hangs people up is one, they don't understand it or how to approach like building a brand. And two, they feel like they have to get it perfect right away. But if you think about it, like I have built many brands for myself over time and no one's confused about who I am, right? (laughs) It's just like be clear in the moment, right? Like you could change and evolve over time. Lots of brands do so like don't focus on being perfect too much just like be clear in the moment be consistent for as many moments in a row as you can until you make a decision to make a change right yeah um so the brand thing i think is sort of like that's in a way easier than most people think bottom line is it's simple but i think some companies make it hard right it's like what is your metric like what is your company goal what does your company need to achieve right How does that back into a goal that content can help achieve, right? When I get on calls with potential clients, my first question to every single one of them is like, what's your company objective this year? What is your company trying to achieve, right? Then the second question is, it's not what is your goal for content, it's do you have one? Because a lot of content teams surprisingly don't. If you can get clear on those two things, the what you need to do is it basically reveals itself to you, right?
0: Well, yeah, that's the hard part though, because I think when you do, I love that exercise because it, it should be that simple. And when you do it that way and you say, okay, what's the company goal? You know what every CEO is going to tell you that the company goal is? We want to grow from 10 million to 20 million.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what, growth.
0: <laughs> or, or, or whatever it is, 10 to 12. But like, I, I'm serious on the revenue side of things. Like most of the CEOs I've talked to, I love the brand stuff more than the next person, but ultimately like they care about revenue the most. And then it becomes, okay, so we're going to go from 10 to 12. We want to go from 10 million to 15 million next year. What role does content, what role do we think content plays in that world? I think like we can get to the goal, but you need to have like the strategy, like you need to have the strategy conversation of like, well, how does content fit in our model? We are And this is where like how you sell matters. Are you, you know, high volume, small business, free trial model is going to mean you're going to generate, you know, your focus is going to be volume. You need a ton of traffic, organic, paid, or nope, we have a a finite number of customers where, you know, we sell a fortune 100, then that's going to be a different content strategy. So like, it's also tough because you need to understand the strategy of the company in order to then set the right content goals.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And also like, you know, I think what or what happens surprisingly a lot of time is that your CEO is going to be really good at setting your revenue goal. They're not going to be really good at bridging, like sort of filling in the gap of like, okay, now content, here's what we need you to do. Like, this right. is the number of leads we need you to bring in, right? Um, so I think actually like a modern content marketer needs to be a little bit savvy in, uh, if you're interested in being, you know, doing strategy and not just production, right? It's like, you need to be a little bit savvy and kind of trying to come up with those hypotheses yourself. Um, and maybe trying to meet them halfway and say, okay, you want to do this, this much in revenue? Like, all right, how many customers do I need? Like how much traffic do I need to get the number of leads we need to like, right? You may not get it right, but I think it does behoove you to try. Yeah. Because it also might not be like,
0: it might not be that perfect one-to-one eat. It's never going to be like, well, if we do these things, we're just going to magically get these leads. But like, I think that it's going to have to be a proxy. Like you can't have the sole goal. I like the idea of like having a scorecard for the content team, as opposed to like, no content owns traffic, maybe content owns traffic, but also Podcast downloads, but also, you know, number of books or something, whatever. I'm making stuff up. But like the question I'm trying to spit out is like, how do you set goals? Can you like try to school me on like how you would want to set goals as a modern content team? And like, literally like, what are the goals? How many of them? How do you, you know, hold people accountable for them?
1: Yeah. I like to have a goal for every activity, content marketing activity that we're engaging in. I think that's really important so that you don't get sidetracked, right? I would say earlier on in my career, I was enamored of activities. I was like, oh, if we do this podcast and we create it beautifully and it's so cool, right? But it wasn't like, how does this, what does this achieve for the company besides like kind of brand building and it's cool and maybe we'll get people to listen, right? So I think it's important to say, okay, you know, if you lay out all the activities you want to engage in, what will they achieve, right? I think that's kind of step one. It's like, are they, you know, and kind of like look at, you know, are they each achieving one kind of different thing? But I think for like, as a baseline, like if you're just starting out, it's like I would create a portfolio that brings in organic search, right? I think you absolutely have to grow that channel. It's gonna take a little longer to like start early, get that sort of library going. I think it's important to start building community and creating objectives around building community. Again, that's kind of the long-term play, but it's gonna keep you sticky over time. And then there's like the whole paid marketing channel, which I definitely think that's the shot in the arm. That's going to get you results faster while you're building kind of those longer term things. I think that's a really healthy start and gives you really obvious metrics to track, right? So organic search, you're not just tracking traffic generally, it's targeted traffic, right? You're going after keywords. And I think if you're smart today, Back in my early days, I would go after like customer support or you know, right. content marketing, which is like a top-of-funnel keyword, tons of volume, brings in kind of the wide net. Today, I think a modern marketer is much better served by going after the long tail keywords, higher intent, more specific niche. They're gonna be lower, each one's probably gonna bring in less monthly traffic but the potential for the folks that are coming in to be closer to that buying phase is much higher. So I think you'll get greater value from the traffic you bring in.
0: As a marketing person, like I've kind of, I've made the mistake a couple of times now of not investing in SEO early enough. And because here's my challenge with it, is like, I get it. And every time I don't do it, I'm burned by it. (laughs) But like, I have this bias of like, "Eh, it's really hard to compete in search now. But like what you said is the most important part is, intent. And so the goal is not to rank for customer support, like you said, but like the best leads in marketing are the high intent ones, right? If you just do a bunch of webinars and you expect sales to call those leads and they're complaining that they're not going to close, no shit, they're not closing because those are people who went to a webinar to hear you know Devin and I talk. They're not like, I'm ready to buy now. Whereas someone who Googles how to put privy on my website that's someone who's closer to buying and so like that's actually going to be a higher intent lead and so like i love that you talked about it from a portfolio standpoint but also like laying the foundation of search because you know if it doesn't exist in google search then it doesn't exist and so like you the opportunity as a b2b brand is to be the one who when they're thinking about that they're searching that my thing is going to show up and ultimately like you kind of hinted at this before in talking about brand but to me content is about your reputation Right. Like a brand is your reputation. You said you've done a ton of different things, but like you have this reputation. That's that's who you are. A brand is not because your blog looks nice or you have nice colors. Like your brand is your reputation. And I think there's no better way today to build your reputation than through content.
1: Yep. I agree. I mean, I think about the early days of animals. Our, you know, I did like a rebrand of our website a little over a year ago, but it didn't meaningfully change how much traffic we got, you know, it was just like, it was, we were the next phase and I, you know, the goal of it was different than that. Right. Gosh. In the early days, we had just a landing page with like stuffed animals facing a computer. Like it was insane. So yeah, I think starting with search high intent keywords, you know, getting away from that, um, vanity of like, how much traffic did I bring in? It's like, what well, it kind of doesn't matter. How many SQLs did you bring in? Like if I had to kind right. of like Say now, this is going to be different for everybody, but for you to give me like one metric that I think is sort of be all end all, it's like SQLs. Like, are you bringing in qualified leads? Right. And you know, it's funny, I wasn't sure if I was going to share the story, but now I have to. Uh, Recently, uh, I learned that our reporting on our own website was broken. So we thought we had this huge spike in traffic in late 2019 based on an article that ranked in search for this search term and like kind of elevated, whatever. We've been talking about this for a year and a half. Come to find out we had Google analytics tags like two times on our website and it was messing something up. So they were being double counted. Right. And so my poor director of marketing has to write me this like long write-up to say like, guess what, Devin, this is a thing. Whoops. Don't fire me. Like, sorry. Right. But ultimately it didn't matter because guess what? Our conversion rate is higher now. Right. So it's like, You know, that traffic is just, it just makes you feel good about yourself. It doesn't matter.
0: doesn't matter, right? Like you're the CEO now, if you had had the worst revenue year that you've ever had, you would have been like, well, is one of the causes traffic, right? Is traffic down? But like you had half of the traffic that you thought you had and probably had your best year as a business, which is awesome. I love this because I just found what I'm going to pull for the clip for this episode, which is great. (laughs) Okay, so you, you've talked about this a couple of times, and I just got to ask you straight to the point now. Why don't, when you talk about it like this, it seems so obvious the purpose of content should be to generate sales qualified leads. Why don't content
1: people think like that? Why don't they like to think like that? <sighs> okay, that's a great question. I don't think it's necessarily that content people don't all think like that. In my experience, it's sometimes content people's Bosses that don't think like that. So, and this happened to me recently. I had a content person approach us looking to work with us, believed in search. They had not written for search at all, but they'd written prolifically on their blog, including the founders, right? The people whose time is the most valuable and the most expensive, right? For over, I think it's the past two years, they've been writing on this blog, putting blood, sweat, and tears into it. I looked at trust before the call to prep, and I was like, nobody's seeing this. They're not getting any traffic to the blog. Certainly no search traffic, zero, literally zero search traffic. So they're investing all this. And the founders are suspicious of search, right? This is what the person I talked to. So like they're suspicious of search because there's a perception that if you write for search, the content's going to be bad. The reason for that is for a while, that was true. Google's gotten smarter. She's really sophisticated now. She knows what she likes, right? She's entering her forties. She's like, I've lived my life. I know what's up, right? It's like, she's more discerning now. She prioritizes better content, right? And the problem still is that in some areas, there just isn't good content to prioritize yet, right? Which PS is an opportunity for these companies, right? So to answer your question, one, I think the majority of the problem isn't with content people, it's with their bosses. And maybe they don't know yet how to manage up communicate to their boss that that search is valuable because a lot of people surprisingly don't still know a lot about search, right? It's confusing to them. It feels like a black box, right? So I think that it's like boss problem, lack of education and learning how to manage that problem, I think are the two and still, I think some content people perhaps do have that perception that search content can't be original, it can't be unique, it can't be compelling, right? And it can be all those things. And it will only continue to be more those things as Google Continues to enter, you know, she enters her later years, her 50s, where she's really wanting to relax, you know.
0: I love it. That's a great analogy, 100%. On the example that you gave from the company, I think that that's a thing that we like to tell ourselves too. Like, look, you can write good SEO content that is also good for brand, because I think to me, that's an opportunity then, which is like, okay, well, actually, I think marketing is always easier when you're given guardrails. And so, like, the guardrails are, oh, We want to write for search because we're measuring on search because at the end of the day, kind of all that matters is search. Uh, But I don't want to write for search, Dave, because it's very robotic and I'm like, well, great. Then don't like let's make the best fucking piece of content that we can within the framework of like these are the keywords that we're going after then go and make the best piece of content for that like that's always going to be the way to win google's just telling you like giving you a slight hint of like you know what you should head in this direction
1: yeah yeah i also think too that like there's this other like in early days of writing for search it felt the same as writing to make something viral feels now right like in the Early days, no one we didn't really know how to write for search so we were still kind of figuring it out so it was still like magical when a piece ranked, right. <laughs> Whereas like now, like everyone has explained in great detail with much granularity, how to do it.
0: But if you work in SEO, you still got to take a screenshot on Twitter and tweet out when your piece <laughs> is in like the featured, you know, when you get the featured snippet on Google, you still got
1: to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there's plenty of that for sure. But, you know, and I think the sexy thing now, I guess, is like, Oh, did your piece go viral? Like did you write something that was so clever that people just kind of, and, and, P.S. There's value in that too, right? And I do think there is a bit of a science behind that as well. It can be somewhat scientific, right? And the reason why it seems hard is because I hate this is gonna perhaps sound unpopular, but a lot of people aren't that original. And a lot of people, totally. a lot of people aren't trying to be original. They just want to get to results as quickly as possible, right? Yeah. So if you take a step back and try to be original, that's when you get these really cool thought leadership pieces that you know, make the rounds in, you know, online communities because they're the only ones trying.
0: Yeah. And like, God forbid, that's the game. Like, hold on. The way you win is by doing it better. Yeah. but we don't want we don't want that to be the case like that, that's how it should be I, that's why that's the reason why I love marketing because I so much of it is average and I talk about that a lot but like it is average and so let's do it let's win by doing it better you know and and there, you got there's different ways to do that I have 7,000 questions that I'm scribbling down that I want to get to you <laughs> so forgive me if I jump around all that's over place right. but good. here's one on related to SEO and content and content strategy do you have an opinion about SEO as it relates to the website versus the blog. I've seen that at different companies where that becomes either a competing or conflicting thing, which is like, hey, we're growing all this traffic to the blog, but that's not the traffic that converts into like a PQL or whatever. You know, yep. Do you have an opinion on that?
1: I have never worked for a company that had that kind of conflict. So I will say that there is a difference in my limited brain. Which is that the website is more technical in nature, right? Like working with an SEO agency at Help Scout, right? We were, I think, we were trying to rank for Help Desk software, and we were like, "What's wrong with our site that we can't rank for Help Desk software?" Really competitive term, right? An SEO agency is going to come in and say, "Okay, tweak the footer, make sure your site architecture is good, maybe you know menu stuff," and then they're going to say okay, what can content do to support this, right? Because content's gonna be the one that builds that giant library, telling Google that we're the premier authors of uh, good content on uh, help desk software. So I see the blog as like an opportunity to be a supporting role to the website, obviously. So SEO is like, to me is like, developer and SEO agency is like the core website. I think that the blog, it's a really great supporting role but you have a little bit more optionality, right? Like you can kind of, you have a ch- an opportunity for nuance there, right? Which may or may not be useful. And I know I'm speaking in super broad terms, but it's actually really hard to, to boil the ocean on this one. So, uh, you know, the way we look at search for blogs is sort of like, is this a good user experience, right? So like are articles linked together in appropriate ways in logical ways rather, you know, are, are they leading you through a story and narrative, right? Is the content itself like, and not all of our content is structured for search either. I'm totally bungling this question because I'm you're leading me down, I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole in my brain, but to, oh, it, to it, kind it, of it, summarize, it, I think they're different. I don't know what it's like to have sort of conflicting operations, but I do believe that the blog offers a little bit more opportunity for nuance.
0: No, you're, you're bumbling because it's an impossible thing to answer because it comes back to like, the strategy of the ultimate question would be like, well, why do you have a blog in the first place company, right? Like, what's the goal that you would want the blog to achieve? Because there are companies where like, it might make sense to not have a blog, like if you are strictly like, you know, there's no sales reps, kind of all inbound search driven, then like all that content should live on the site. And you should be writing content, you know, there versus like, if you have a more enterprise sale, maybe you want to build a blog. Maybe you're building a blog because you want to create like a media hub for your brand that actually has nothing to do with your product and you want to build this engaged community. And if you think you can do that, blah, 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 blah. So like, I think it's just like, I wanted to ask you that question because it's more to show people that like, I think you have to have a strategy for a blog to exist other than just like, we got a blog and we write stuff there.
1: Yeah. And I think the most important part is that infrastructure. That's the thing that we end up cleaning up the most, right? is like we come into these like mature blogs that just have either too many categories or no categories. Right. And I don't necessarily mean categories in the historical sense of a CMS, but it's like, what are we writing about? It's either like a bunch of random stuff or like it's over indexed in a way. So there's too many options and there's, it's not really a good reader experience. Right. I Um,
0: I love it. You hit, you hit on something really important, which I've never thought about for content, but like Okay, if you're, when you're thinking about social media, right? If you want to build a following on Twitter or LinkedIn, the strategy is not tweet about working out and pizza and your dog and your family and sometimes marketing and sometimes sales. Like I used to tweet about whatever, but when I, a couple of years ago, I said, I'm going to go all in and just talk about marketing on LinkedIn and Twitter. That's when you start to build an audience. And so like when you have a company blog, that's like we post awards and announcements and sometimes you write about this, like the opportunity is to be, you don't want to be the cheesecake factory where there's a hundred things on your menu and they're all okay. Right. Like you want to be like, no, I read this blog because this is my source for blah. That's the opportunities to find is to find the niche. And so like, I think it's great that you mentioned that as a way to like, why are you writing? What is the topic? Maybe the, and by the way, there's probably two topics max that can be written for different types of personas. For example, like when I was heavily involved in content at Drift in the early days, we had two very clear tracks. We talked about marketing and we talked about kind of like startup-y, you know, like building stuff. And those were the two tracks. And that's where you're going to read us for. And as a result, when you do that, you attract like-minded people.
1: Yep. Yep. Help Scout was the same way, right? Like I built this hub. It was called Help You. And it was really easy to be creative there because I wrote to one group of people and that was support folks. Right. I wasn't writing to the CTO. I wasn't writing for Like it was, there was very clearly like folks who work in support. And so, you know, I could do, you know, we had a very extensive library of how to's and examples. We had this like humans of support series. We had helped it. Like, you know, I got to do lots of, but like all of those fell under one topic. So when you arrive there, you're like immersed in this one topic that you care a lot about. Like that to me is really clean, efficient, brilliant. 100%. Versus just like, hey, let's just take guest posts from everybody and slap them
0: all together. Oh. And that's our content strategy. And we've all oh. been there. All right. Let's just for the last part of this, talk about um content hiring. And then like, I want to talk about some of your career stuff, but like a lot of questions we get a lot of questions about like hiring specifically the first content person. And so take me through like, who do you, you know, what does that person do? What should you think about, how do you make the first content hire and what should they be responsible for?
1: Dave, that depends, but here we go. It depends on a lot actually, but, uh, wait,
0: no, can you answer it with that? Can you actually, yeah. I think that's in cause I think that's an important part of it. So like talk through the, it depends part.
1: I'm going to, I'll try. So it really depends on, well, number one, it depends on what stage your company is at and what your needs are, right? The stage of your company matters a whole heaping lot and will determine the best, the type of content marketer that you need, right? For example, if you're, uh, I'm going back to the seed stage because those folks come to us a lot and they're like, look, I need to get this content operation up and running fast. I'm like a product person and my like one or two other people, right? I don't know anything about content. And like, we need to get going, right? It's why a lot of them come to us first before hiring someone. They're like, I have no idea how to hire a marketing person. (laughs) What do I do, right? And so they need someone to come in who can be a great strategist, a great producer, right? And kind of be really independent and kind of run themselves. Now you can take those three qualities and say, oh, that could make a great first hire if you're low on budget and can't build a team, right? And that's really the big takeaway is like, you have to look at your budget and say, all right, if I can't afford a team, what specific functions do I need? I need someone who can execute really well. That's probably number one, right? Which means if I need someone who can execute well, means I need someone who's a very good writer who understands search and analytics, right? Who is decent enough at social. I don't think social, like organic social is a super important distribution channel anymore from the brands, right? So like, fine. And every basic content marketer will know that those exist and they should post on them. So I think that's kind of important for a first hire. It's, you know, what's funny, Dave, I actually think that if you're like an early stage company who needs someone like that, you actually need to hire like a way higher level first marketer. Like you need someone who actually like can do a lot more. Yeah, Cause I feel like when they're young, they, they hire these like junior marketers. Right. I'm like, they're actually probably going to be a little less effective because they haven't seen as much. Whereas like someone who's been, you know, got five years under their belt is going to look at an early stage company and be like, Oh, I know what you need. They're going to be more expensive, but I think they're going to do a better job. I'm with you. I, I actually, I tell people that the first content
0: person needs to be a marketer who can write, not a writer period. Because like, I think a lot of people make the mistake of like, we need content, we're going to start a blog. So now I'm the CEO of this series A startup. And I just hired a, you know, a 23 year old, a writer, and they're going to write, both of you are going to fail in that scenario. Because like, there's no management, there's no strategy, the CEO is not involved in marketing, you're just being asked to blog. And so like, but I also think, and it's not an, that's not an age thing. It's more of just like, look, in the early days, you also need that first person to be like, how do we set up the blog? How do we get Google Analytics set up? Does this feed data into Salesforce? Who's going to write the emails to promote these posts? Oh, now somebody wants to do a web, a co-marketing thing with us because they liked our blog post. Who's going to do that deck? Like that to me is what your first content person needs to be. And Scrappy. then- you maybe spend the first year wrangling that and then that person who's now kind of this all-purpose marketing person says, we want to scale content next year and so I'm going to hire a writer and I'm going to manage that person and then we're going to go or I can't do the writing and so I'm going to hire animals, but I'm kind of the all-purpose marketing person, but I'm going to like work with animals to do the content on the
1: outside. Yeah. The challenge there is just because you find someone who's scrappy and can do all those things doesn't necessarily mean they're the perfect person to lead content. True. True. And that's sort of like where I think the, the, you know, all this stuff we talk about seems so simple, right? But then when you get into it, it's like, well, sometimes you need to hire above them, which can be kind of complicated. But I
0: think like, I think that usually comes with a CEO who will have goals. Like my biggest rant in marketing is like, don't work for a CEO. Life is too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. And so like, if you are at the early stage of a company where the CEO is even they're even hiring content as the first marketing person. That's already like a good indicator. So like, let's say you go in that meeting, you jive with the CEO. That's where like, there's going to be a clear goal, which is like, hey, the goal here, I remember for me, early days at Drift, the goal was you're going to do content because we're launching our product in six months and we want you to build an audience. And so my goal was in the first 120 days have 5,000 people on on an email list, right? And so like that goal then frames who they're going to hire versus like, we want to just have some like great poetic writing done, you know, every quarter, then that's a different profile.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that.
0: What's the key makeup of this like head of content, director of content person that you, that you started to talk about? Like what's the difference between that person and the average content marketing
1: manager? I think some experience is definitely helpful, right? Like I couldn't have been a director of content, you know, my first or second year as a content marketer. I just hadn't seen enough. I think you need to be two most important things in my experience where you have to be super organized. Like you have to be a bomb ass project manager. You also have to be really good at talking to leadership and reporting because the thing about like the misnomer about the director of content is that it's not so much about what you can do. It's about what you can accomplish the director role is a really tricky role. You're usually in between your CMO, right? Like you've got a little baby team underneath you, you're reporting up to your CMO. But for a lot of these B2B companies, you're also reporting to the CEO, which means things can be really complicated. You're also like, depending on what you want to achieve, trying to wrangle side resources, like a designer or a developer, and you have to get different people on board depending on how the company. So it's like, there's a lot of politics involved there. You know, I think that the first thought would be like, Oh, what marketing skills do you need? I'm like, honestly, you know, I think first and foremost, like you need to be a good politician. You'd be a good yeah. product manager. I do think that like, you know, it's good. You really need to have your reporting chops together. Right. Because that's in a role where like you need to be able to show results, right. You need to justify your budget. And so it is really important to be able to um, kind of say, okay, we did all these things and they achieved X, not What I see from a lot of young content marketers is like, well, I did all this stuff. I'm like, so what? What happened, right? And so it's like, you have to have that mindset of like, here's what we achieved. Not like, I did all this stuff, like all this stuff I did, right? That was me like in the early days.
0: And like the, the way that you describe that is important because like, if you think about it is just very black and white. Think of it as this director of content that reports the CMO. In that weekly meeting with the CMO and the direct reports, here's how the conversation goes. Shit we're behind in this area. How are we going to grow? All right. Product marketing, demand gen, content. And so if you're the director of content, you're like, ah, you know, we're going to just, I don't know, we'll make another, we'll make another something. We're like, no, you have to become that strategic partner. And so like you walk out of that meeting being like, shoot, I can't actually track anything that we're doing. So I got to go fix that because I want to know like how we can create something now that's going to impact. And so like When you think of that, you think of the business sense first, and then content is your craft. Content is your vehicle. Just like the director of product marketing, their jam might be product marketing. It's like, you can't just be the writer. It's got to be this balance of like business person, CMO, and content is your avenue.
1: Yeah. I also think that you need to, and this is kind of the fuzzier quality, which is like you need to be really discerning. I feel like you need to be very opinionated. You need to have strong opinions about what's good because at the end of the day, like you sort of become that first gatekeeper and you're going to be the one wrangling the team underneath you, their ideas, they're going to come to you with right. Kind of have the editor mindset, you know, your CMO is going to be ultimately very discerning if they're good at their job. Right. And so like, you have to be able to go to them with like really good ideas. Like that is really important. One of the things that I, like this was something that I had to learn managing up. And and actually I was terrible at managing up, to be honest, for most of my career, I've been fired more than once and I'm totally fine with it. But, uh, I won on having really good ideas. Like I was scrappy. I'd never had a a meaningful budget. I was super creative and I had really good ideas. At the end of the day, people loved that. And so it was like kind of what I hung my hat on while I learned the other stuff, right. Or never really learned managing up. So I just became a boss. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I'm like, I'm,
0: I just need to be the boss. So I don't have to learn how to, to how to get there.
1: Yeah. I went from a director. I'm like, I'm just going to skip over these other ones. Cause I'm probably going to suck at those. Two. I'm just going to go straight to the top. That's cool.
0: <laughs> then you don't have to manage up anymore. No, I, yeah. I, I think that's great. I think it's great advice, but it starts with self-awareness. So you need to know which type are you, right? Because if you are, if you're not the crazy, awesome, creative ideas person, then you got to be the business metric buttoned up. You know, I know the funnels in it because you don't get the leeway. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, she's not the spreadsheet gal and I'm not that person. But like, if we need a crazy ass campaign, like Devin, I need to call her. And like, you want to be that person. And if you're not that person, then you damn sure well better be the person who's like, I know that if we can increase traffic by 7% next month, we will generate 47 more MQLs. And that means we'll deliver this much in pipeline. Like, I think you have to be able to be, or maybe there's another personality type, but like the point is like, you have to know who you are and then you build your career or your thing around that Versus Like a lot of people try to be this, like I got ideas, but like I'm kind of half good at ideas and I'm half good at the business side. You got to know which one you are.
1: Absolutely. I agree with that so much. And what ends up happening is you find the people around you to fill in the gaps, right? When I went to Help Scout, really good ideas, didn't know that much about search, to be honest, when I got there, but there was a guy, we had an SEO guy there. Guess what I did? Buddied up close to him, right? We talked once a week. I learned a ton from him, right? You know, I wasn't like, I was a strong writer, but, uh, you know, I had to learn reporting through my boss, right? So it's like, kind of learn the other stuff and you acquire those skills, but like, Yeah, I had my strong suit. I knew what it was. But, like, that's okay. Like, I, one
0: thing that was, what was eye opening for me in my, you know, everybody has it like saga of imposter syndrome, like as a CMO, right? Which is like, I don't know everything in marketing. There's a couple of things that I I think I know really well and I'm great at, but there's other things that I'm not so good at. I'm not, I'm not the one that you want. When we're having the pricing and packaging discussion, no one's like, we got to call Dave. Like, (laughs) and that's okay. That's okay because when we're having the like, company story, crazy campaign idea discussion. Like, you know, I am on speed dial for that one. So what that means is I have to then build a team around, okay, so how do I have somebody who is that person? And I trust them fully. And so like, I, a couple of years ago, I did this podcast where I interviewed all these amazing CMOs and they all had this thing in common, which is none of them had the same background. One of them came up through product marketing. One of them came up through demand gen, the CMO at LinkedIn. She came up through PR and that's a public company, right? Like, so like, The key piece to all of them, though, is they know which one they are. They have biases in that area. So they're going to be strong and want to default to spend more attention in that area, but then hire the
1: other people to build out a strong team, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this kind of shows, demonstrates the evolution of content marketing as a career, because when I was a little baby content marketer, right? Like you were expected to be an excellent writer, strategist, designer, Somewhat developer. I mean, I have coded a lot in my in my life, and I had to learn SQL at one point. Like, oh god, it? yeah, you had to like the old days. You used to have to be a little bit of everything. Now, as content marketing has matured, there are opportunities for you to focus, and you yeah. can kind of carve out your niche wherever it is. But it's it's great to do what you did, though. Like, I don't think
0: like you should undersell that. Like, it's great to do what you did, which is you said is really important, which is. You went to a good company and at that good company, you worked with someone who was great at SEO. And so you like through osmosis, you kind of learned some of that enough to be deadly. Then you learn from, you know, this manager, whoever, who was great at reporting in the business side. It's like, there is value in like, you can take all those pieces. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean like turn your brain off and like only be that person, but like use it to help identify who you are and what your weaknesses are. You also need to understand what good looks like because I'm not a designer, right? You're not a designer. I'm not even a writer, but I can tell you what good looks like and I can articulate that. And so I can know like whether we're hiring the right person or getting the right outcome out of that.
1: Absolutely. I learned, I have a very discerning design I- and it's because I worked with designers my entire career because I was a content marketer, right? So it's like I was always buddy, like pull a chair up next to them, and they're going through this thing I wanted, right? Yep. And they showed me <laughs> what it should look like, and I was like, "You are, you are absolutely right." And P.S. Dave, just like one final point on that is that that whole ability to be self-aware, identify your gaps, and then find the people who can fill those gaps around you—that's like step one of being a good leader. Period. Right. Like what I do as a CEO is very similar to what one might do as a director of content or CMO, which is like figure out, you know, focus on what you're good at and then hire people around you who are really smart.
0: Please. Yeah. Like you can't be, you can't be stro- I can't be strolling into that pricing meeting and be like, ah, listen to me. I got the decisions because I got the title. And like hell no. You know you're gonna no one's gonna ever respect you, or they they will never tell you to your face. And so you'll have this like you know, nobody's going to say anything. Anyway, that's a whole side tangent. This was for real. This was exactly what I was hoping to get out of this. Thank you. This was awesome.
1: Awesome. Thanks for including me. You know, I was actually really excited to do this because I think for all these years that we've circled around each other, we I don't think we have ever actually met. Like, I, think this was a I don't think so. A and, conversation.
0: and I would love to talk to you more because you, yeah. you know your shit and it's awesome. So. So
1: do you. This was great. You made it super easy. Thanks so much. Good.
0: All right. I'll see you later. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now. And it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too, because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month after that, it's $10 a month. And let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. There's 10 to 12 new posts every single day. And you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly. And that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no brainer. So go and check it out. There's a link in the show notes of this episode, a special link just for you to go and join for $1. All right. See you.